One Sacred Pause with Jessica Winderl. Hi, Jessica here, the host of the One Sacred Pause podcast. And before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to share a little bit of information with you. Today is the launch of season two of the podcast, and I am so excited that you are here with me listening in. Season one was so much fun, 12 episodes of really interesting and inspiring conversations with yoga teachers and meditation teachers from across Scandinavia. For season two, we have just as many awesome and amazing conversations uh, coming up for you. I've already pre-recorded most of the conversations, so I know what is coming up. This year, or for this season, I had uh, several requests to interview people outside of Scandinavia for the podcast. So there will be a few teachers, uh, friends of mine that I know personally, and some people that I'm just really inspired by who I've invited to come on the podcast this season. So we have half of the people and the episodes will be teachers from the U.S. and half are from Scandinavia. So this is really exciting. And, you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about and choosing the people I want to invite onto this podcast. This is a passion project and I do this on top of my full-time teaching jobs, traveling, teaching at festival, leading teacher trainings. So this is really just uh, an offering from my heart. And when I select people to be on this podcast, it's based on what are the conversations that I really want to be having and what is it that I want to bring out into the world and what is it that I think supports my vision for my path as a yogi and as someone who is interested in spiritual inquiry and self-development. So I hope that you enjoy all of these episodes as much as I enjoyed recording them for you. We will, or I will be talking to one of my dearest friends uh, who is in acupuncture school, talking about five elements acupuncture. We have a guest on the show talking all about breath work and psychotherapy and how we can really shift and transform through the control of specific breath patterns. I'm going to be talking with a yoga musician and DJ in the US and a yoga uh, teacher here in Norway who is also a pop star. So musicians on both continents will be guests on the podcast this season. Conversation topics are going to be ranging from studentship to entrepreneurship to sustainability, both in the actions that we take as yogis, but also in our careers as yoga teachers. So there is a lot of really good stuff coming down the pipeline and uh, similar to season one a new episode will be dropping on every thursday Uh, we have expanded to offer the podcast on every platform where you get podcasts so spotify itunes stitcher google play all of that will be available to you so I just want to say a really big thank you for your support and your encouragement as I learned how to podcast and really felt like I put myself out there with some vulnerable conversations in season one. Season two, there's also a lot of transparency and vulnerability that comes through in some conversations. So 
it can be a little scary to sit here and talk into the microphone. So I just really appreciate all the really sweet and lovely messages that I've gotten over the past few months. And uh, it means a lot to me. And I think it's really important that we support one another in passion projects and helping to build our Sangha, our community, whether it's in person or in the virtual world. I also just want to share that um, these podcasts are being sponsored by the Atman Yoga School. And the Atman Yoga School is offering yoga teacher trainings across Norway, uh, 200 hour and 300 hour vinyasa yoga trainings. And we have some exciting programs coming up in 2019. So registration is open for all 2019 programs. So if you're interested or you're thinking about taking your studies of yoga a little bit further, whether to become a teacher or just learn more or uh, learn more as a teacher if you're already teaching then go to the website www.atmanyogaschool.com and check us out we also will be offering two trainings this year restorative and yoga nidra these are weekend trainings we have one in Trondheim and one in Oslo Oslo's in May and Trondheim's in July so if you need a little time out from the busyness of your life, then maybe you should consider joining us and sign up for one of these weekend trainings. You won't be sorry. And I think that is about it. All right. I'm excited. We're just going to dive right in. So um, I guess the last thing I'll say is if you are enjoying these podcast episodes, then please support me by going to iTunes and leaving a review, subscribing, rating, all of that good stuff. Um, I would really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. And that's it. So let's get going. Bye. Hello, and welcome back to the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm Jessica, your host, and today I am speaking with somebody who's really inspiring, who I met last year, and we're going to talk about breath work, we're going to talk about clinical psychology, and we're going to talk about bridging some of these older modalities, more healing modalities with the medicine from the Western world. So welcome, Miamu Tostensen. Thank you so much, Jessica. What a pleasure to be here. Yes. And, you know, it was really fun. So we met last year in Copenhagen at the Copenhagen Yoga Festival. And yeah. you had a booth for your business. And I was there teaching. And you were offering a couple of kind of free sort of trial or mini breathwork sessions. And myself and one of my assistant teachers, who was part of the Atman Yoga School with me, Christine Iverson, was there. And we both came. And did a session with you and uh, the other lovely girl in your booth, woman in your booth. And we had such a profound experience with the style or type of breath work that you facilitate. And so I'm just, I'm so excited to talk to you and kind of dive into the work that you're doing, why it's important and why we need more of it. Thank you. And it was really a pleasure to meet you guys. And, and it started a a great, great process for me too. So I'm very grateful that you came that day. Yeah. And so I'll just explain a little bit about what my experience was. And then maybe yeah. you can explain kind of what it was that 
you did <laughs> and <laughs> what, what the method is that you teach. Um, because it's really cool. You've started to integrate some of these breathwork techniques into your clinical psychology and psychotherapy practice. Yeah, I did. Yeah. That's just the coolest thing. And I mean, that's big medicine there, I think, but so we came to your booth. Um, so it was outside and it was just sort of like one of those white tent things that has like one side open where you had your table set up and your cards and information about your practice, act and breathe. And we came behind the table, sat down on the ground. You had some rugs and some pillows and it was just super nice and cozy. Maybe like a candle. I can't remember for sure, but probably. Yes, there was. <laughs> yeah. So Christine and I, sat down just cross-legged on the floor. You were in front of me. And who was your assistant's name or the woman with you? Uh, her name is Mette Olsen. Okay. She sat down yeah. in front of Christine. So it was the four of us. And we did a session for, I don't know, about half an hour, maybe, would you say? Yeah, I think 25 minutes, half an hour. Yeah. Approximately, yeah. And you were just gently, my eyes were closed, and you were just gently informing me of how I should start to control my breath. And I don't remember exactly now how it, how it went, but at some point I just started gently crying and yeah. I had a really strong reaction to the breath work and it was so beautiful. It wasn't like, um, frantic crying. It wasn't hyperventilating crying. It was just like this gentle release and and I probably was crying for at least, I don't know, I would say 10 minutes of the breathwork session. And it felt so good. And it was really unexpected, to be honest. <laughs> I do a lot of pranayama. I do a lot of different types of breathwork. And this was new to me. I hadn't done this particular style before. And I just remember you gently guiding me. I think you sat with me for most of it, if not all of it. Yeah. And maybe touched parts of, of my belly or my chest. I can't remember about that either. But um, from your end, what were you doing? Well, you're saying some of the things you're saying, I get that a lot. You know, people get really surprised by how powerful kind of like the gentleness of breathwork can be. So we have some basic things that we do. Um, one of them is that we guide people, in this case you, into a, a very unique way of breathing. So it's, it, we have three focuses. Uh, one of them is that we want the breath to go as deep down in the belly as possible. And then we have a very big focus on getting the breath as relaxed as possible. So you get this deep breathing, but at the same time, you really want to relax the breath and relax the body. And then we do a connected breathing pattern. So the breath is without any pauses. So it's kind of like a, a circular breathing pattern, but in a very, very gentle, soft way. So one of the reasons why we really want to breathe that in that gentle way is that we we want to prevent people from, for example, going into hyperventilating. Um, and that's a very impo important part of it. Because uh, sometimes, as you felt, it can be very, very powerful. And sometimes people get in touch with, with old memories and traumas. And that's why it's important to, to have this awareness of relaxation also. 
Yeah. But that's those three things are basically uh, what we're doing. <laughs> mm. So so it's the breath that that creates that whole state in the body where you get in touch with, for example, old emotions or old traumas. Um, and what we do, what I did during the session was that I looked at your breathing pattern and I, I kind of I like moved along with it. So if I see that there's not that much movement in the belly, then I try to use words and I try to use different, for example, placing my hand on your belly and, and guiding you to breathe deeper. So that was the, what you were feeling when you said that I, I, I think you touched at some part my belly and that's right, I did that. Mm. Well, yeah. it was such a cool experience. And when we gently came out of the breath work, it took a while to sort of reintegrate back into a fully waking conscious state. And I just sort of turned <laughs> to Christine, my friend next to me, <laughs> and we're both just bawling. And we look at each other, we're both crying. And then we just start laughing. And we just started hugging each other. And we're like, Oh, they, oh, my God, you're crying too. And Oh, my God, what was that <laughs> was our experience. And um, what do you notice happens when you bring this type of breath work into your clinical practice and what sort of res results or feedback do you see with the people you work with? Well, I want to just, just give a short, short, uh, you know, why I did this. Cause, cause in the beginning, when I worked as a psychologist, I was at a regular uh, clinic where I had regular conversation talk therapy with people. And I really loved that. And I loved connecting to people but I started noticing that I felt like something was missing and I felt like there was a whole part that I couldn't really access in the conversations it was like something were yeah something were missing so I didn't really know at that point what that was but one day I got invited to have my own first breathing session and and at that moment, I knew what it was that I had been missing. Mm. So for me, the first experience was kind of like you're explaining this. Wow. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't know that this was all inside of me. And I think it's one of the feedbacks that I get is that. You know, if we have, for example, one hour of regular therapy and we talk about some issues and then we get into the breathing session and sometimes people come out and they say, well, this emotion wasn't really about what I thought it was about. So it's like the body has it, it carries this whole wisdom from from the birth and through all of our lives. And, and I remember talking to a wonderful doctor at one point about this. And she said, well, how can we, how can we ask ourselves to work with stuff in therapy from a point of view where we maybe didn't have language? Mm. So, you know, a lot of our traumas happens in the early lives of our years. So when we try to access this part in regular therapy and we ask people to put words into their experiences they probably don't even know what experiences it, it is about 
maybe they, they had something told, but they hadn't had developed the, the words for the, for the experiences themselves yet. So one of the things that I start noticing is that with breath work, we can access that place. And the healing is actually through getting in touch with the emotions, experience those emotions, but we don't really need to know why they're there. Mm. And that to me is very, very beautiful and very profound because we can access things that we couldn't do before. That's so cool. And I've actually never considered that before, that maybe we need a different way to identify something that we're experiencing or an emotion that we have other than the typical names that we've already been taught, fear, anger, sadness, grief, Mm -hmm. because you're right. Like the human spectrum of emotions can go beyond those limitations. It can. That's so cool. That's really um, exciting. And I imagine that really changed you as a facilitator and maybe even the the whole course of your business and your clinic and everything. It completely changed everything because in that moment where I had my own session, I knew that I couldn't carry on working the way that I had been working. Mm. So I knew that I had to change that whole aspect. But, and I actually, it took me a year before going to my next session. (laughs) Oh, really? How come? (laughs) Because I really didn't know how to, I just, I was in the, you know, I was finishing up my, my psychology degree and I was really, you know, still in the whole very, very evidence-based university world. Um, and I, I really didn't know how to translate my experience into something that I could use in my regular psychology world. So it took me a while and it, and it took me some more experiences that I needed to have before I was ready to, to fully jump in. Mm. And I think a part of it is that when, when you say the word breathwork, and you start working with the breath in this very profound way, then you, you, you cannot really bypass the spiritual aspects of it. Mm. And, and I was really struggling, you know, working in the Western world, we do, we do not use people's spiritual sides as a way of working with them. Um, but now I see the importance of that too. And that's also one of the reasons why I love breath work now that some, for some people, the, the spiritual aspect of it is very, very, you know, they have big, huge experiences with light and everything. But most of the time what I get is I really feel a very, very deep connection to myself. Mm. And that is for many, many people, a very, very spiritual experience to really get to know themselves from deep within. Yeah. That's well, very beautiful. it's, oh, it's so beautiful. And in the yoga tradition, if we follow or study the eight limbs, um, the fourth limb is pranayama or breath control. And that mm-hmm. comes after the asana, after the movement. And so we kind of consider that that fourth limb is the bridge between the physical body and the yeah. spiritual body because limbs one, two, and three all deal with the physical and deal with the external realities of being human. And then we move into 
limb four. We work with the breath. We explore the breath. We control the breath. And then limbs five, six, seven, and eight have to do with the more refined, more subtle, more internal practices that are the connection to spirit, that are the connection to the divine. And so I very much 100% agree with what you say about how the breath can be used to help us get in touch with that connection to self with the big S and just to kind of see things a little bit more clearly. Exactly. And, and what, one of the things that I think is beautiful is that when, when I have some clients and I experience that with myself too, in a very, very clear way is that at one point when, when decisions start to become easy to make, then you know that you really get in touch with the, with something important, right? Mm. Cause you know, for me, my, my whole body and my whole system reacts so clearly now. So my intuition is very, very easy to follow. And, and breath work has really, really done that to me because, you know, I don't, I don't doubt that much anymore. I still struggle. That's, that's part of the human life. But, but, you know, I can easily access that place from within where I, I get to choose what's important in my life and, and which direction is the next one to go. Um, and that when we get that kind of freedom in life, then a lot of things become a lot more easy. Yes. And I think too, from an Ayurvedic perspective, uh, the belief is that our emotions can get trapped in our body physically and energetically. And one of the best and fastest ways to help us kind of clear that energy, that stuck, stale, repressed emotion is through the breath and using specific pranayama techniques to kind of have that influx or kind of clearing that out to make the energy channels of the body, the nadis, uh, Mm -hmm. clear so that we can still feel emotion. We can process emotion, but we don't have to hold on to it. We can let it go. And when we let go of that emotion, once it's already been dealt with or processed or observed, (laughs) then somehow magically we feel lighter, we feel clearer, we feel calmer. And then just like you're saying, even when we do have a challenge in life, it's not quite so earth shattering. No, (laughs) because we're connected to the breath. And it actually kind of took me a long time to get that lesson. And I remember when I was newer to yoga, and I would go to specific pranayama classes, and I loved them because I would always feel so good after. But I put pranayama in the same sort of box as like restorative yoga. And I've talked about this on my podcast before, where as a yoga teacher, I personally teach three main types of healing modalities. I teach power vinyasa, I teach restorative yoga, and I teach yoga nidra, which is guided meditation. And power vinyasa, no problem. People come to those classes, they know what they're all about, they want to, you know, sweat, they want to move. But the other two just don't seem quite as exciting to people for some reason. And unfortunately, I, I, my observation anecdotally is that breath work also kind of fits into that category where people are like, oh, that sounds cool. Oh, I really should do that. Yes. And then somehow it just gets pushed to the bottom of the priority list. Yeah. Um, I think I do see a shift happening, though, in our communities where there is sort of a renewed interest in making these specific healing modalities more of a priority. But it's, it's still not number one from what I've observed. And 
for you, do you teach workshops outside of your clinical practice? Uh, sometimes I do. Yes. Uh, but I, I totally get what you're saying. And I, I see the same thing too, that the, the first reaction I, I get from people is, wow, that sounds exciting. I should do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then nothing really happened. But, you know, I think that cause you know, the breath is such a powerful way of closing down from whatever experience we don't really want to have in our lives. So if we, for example, feel free fear, then we can use our breath. We can start breathing more shallow or we can even stop breathing for a while and holding our breath. And that's a way of kind of like closing down our whole emotional experience. So I think that a lot of people intuitively know that that they have used their breath for a long time to kind of survive. And so when, when people get in touch with, I should do that, I think there's a, an intuitive feeling of this could be painful in a way. Ah, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think, and, and, and sometimes it is during the process, but it's all worth it, you know, because, yeah, because, it's actually more painful to hold on to and to to limit ourselves in the way that we need to do to be able to hold back our emotions. Um, but I think that has something to do with it. Yeah, I totally agree that there is some sort of a fear there like, oh, gosh, OK, well, if I open that door, then maybe I'm opening the door to the floodgates of all yeah. the things I've been trying to hide from. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I see that in yoga too. Um, yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> once, once that opens, then it's just like all this stuff, especially when it's brand new to you, the practices. And then all of a sudden you're feeling things you've never felt before. You're seeing things in a different light and the way you relate to the world around you changes and then you change. Mm-hmm. And I personally, I want to change. I want to evolve. I want to be moving forward. I want to get to know myself better. I want to be a more kind and compassionate human. And the only way to do that is by doing the work on ourselves. It is the only way. And I think that, you know, for me there, I, I've been struggling with anxiety and eating disorders my whole young life. And, and anxiety is kind of like, I think it's been there from my very early years. So, but I, I reached a point where I started to get in touch with myself in such a beautiful way that I couldn't, there was no return. It was a point of no return really. Mm. <laughs> Cause you know, then it, it becomes a lot about, you know, that quote that said, it's not, it's not the destinations. It's about the journey. And, and for me that that's really true because, you know, I can go through, whatever the next level of my development is and it can be painful but you know it's worth it because I get to know myself a little bit better every time yeah it's for me every time we we go through another kind of like phase it's like it's on a deeper level so for me I really started to see all of these things as something very very beautiful Mm. Uh, but but you know you have to get the experience that this can be painful and beautiful at the same time. Yeah. That's such a good message. Yeah. And I think it's a shame that, that we kind of live, uh, 
in a society where we we get told that if we have emotions like fear or if we get too sad, then we have a depression, you know? Yeah. There, we kind of label our emotions in a way that we can feel something within a spectrum. But if we feel something too much, then we call it sickness in a way, right? Mm. So then it becomes something that we need to be fixed from. Um, and I think that's, that's a shame because, you know, it's, it's all part of a human life to have emotions and reactions to whatever happens in our lives. And for me, breathwork is a way of living with those things and noticing that it's not about having the right kind of emotions, but it's about living a full life and, and having experiences that are beautiful and that creates connectedness with other people. And, but at the same time, it can be, it can be painful. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you do your breathwork technique on like for yourself, like on a daily basis, or is it something you do a few times a week or how often do you practice it? I practice it uh, a few times a week and then I do meditations. Mm. Um, yeah. So I do a full session once or twice a week. Uh, and then I, I meditate. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. What's the name of the breathwork technique that you use? Well, I'm trained in something called a transformational breathing. Um, but kind of like started to slowly implement other things in my, that I've learned during my whole psychology thing too. Yeah. Cause to me, it's important to, to be able to blend and mix different methods for different people. So some sessions are kind of like more, I have the emphasis on getting the breath kind of like very, very uh, uh, active. And for other people, it's important to have, you know, the body calming down. So, so I try to work in different ways with different people. But the things that are always there is uh, the connected breathing. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, well, and your sessions are quite long. So when somebody comes to your clinic, they're with you for how long? Two hours. Yeah, that's amazing. Least. Yeah. Yeah, every time. <laughs> every time. Yeah. <laughs> but time flies by. It's amazing. I get a lot that, you know, when people come out from a session, that they're like, was that an hour? Because <laughs> it's just, yeah. It just flies by. It flies by. And for me, too, as a facilitator, I'm like, well, so, so I, in the beginning, I was thinking a lot about how to maybe shorten the sessions and cause two hours are a lot, but, but I really don't want to, I don't want to shorten them. It's important for me to have time and to also for people to really, you know, get integrated afterwards and to just have the time to have some water and just talk a little bit about the session and how, how they're feeling uh, afterwards, that's important for me. Well, so I, yeah. And one reason I love that so much too, is because it's just in that vein of seeing who it is that you're working with. And whenever you're in any sort of healing modality, you are a healer, you work with something that's a little bit more of an alternative therapy. I think it's really important that we do have that time to mm -hmm. be human and be 
in the session and be with each other. And I think, you know, every year I always see these reports from the U.S. and I saw one here in Norway recently about how many minutes a Western doctor is supposed to spend with each patient. And it's around five to six minutes. Yeah. And then they've got to, they got to get in, they got to get out. There's no time for chit chat. There's no time for the really important questions. Mm -hmm. How is your sleep? What is your stress level like? How are your relationships? What's your emotional health like? And, you know, a lot of times too, we hear about how many people never tell their doctor what the real problem is. They don't feel well and they come in and the doctor's like, okay, what's wrong? And they need time. The patient needs time to warm up to the doctor, to be honest about their health issues. And you can't do that in five or six minutes. Nope. I totally agree. Yeah. But you can do that in two hours. You can do that. And, and I think that that is also one of the things that I noticed when I was doing 50 minute sessions before I started using breath work is that actually it takes some time, even though you know your therapist, you just, you need to settle in, in a calm way. You need to get in touch with yourself before you can open up. Um, and of course there's difference, uh, in every person. Some people are faster than others, but for me, I want everybody to have that time so that they can, can opening up to the most, you know, I often think about what I ask people to do when they sit there in that chair in front of me. I ask them about the most painful aspects of their lives, you know, and that's very, very important that people get the time to feel safe. Mm. Yes. And, and for me, it's no different when, when you, you're a doctor and you ask people to tell you what's wrong or what's, what's the struggle, you know, we need time. Yeah, we do for sure. And I love when there are healers in the world who, whatever their modality is, where they are making that a priority, because of Mm -hmm. course in your private practice, sure. If you had 50 minute sessions, you can see double the number of people on a daily mm-hmm. basis, which means you probably might make more money. But mm-hmm. when we are concerned about the quality of the service we provide, I think then things just start to shift. And it's not about just the money. It's not about just the bottom line. It's about the question, how can I be of service? And I think that's why many people do go into these types of careers, yoga teacher, counselor, therapist. Um, one of my best friends, she was Uh, on the podcast as well. She is a um, five elements acupuncturist. Yeah. And their sessions are an hour and a half and it's Mm -hmm. one-on-one the whole time, which in traditional Chinese medicine acupuncture, um, usually you're in a room and you get, they come, they put the needles in, they leave you and they're seeing other people. So you don't get the Mm -hmm. one-on-one with them. And my friend C. Marie, she's just like, that's why, because my clients need to feel safe. They need to feel that I'm there on the journey with them, supporting them. And I just, I think I'm so in awe of that because I think it's, in my opinion, important. It is. And I think that that's also one of the reasons why I really fell in love with this way of working with people. Cause you know, when, 
when supporting people who go through major changes in their lives or maybe even people lost someone or you know it's it's painful to to go to to a therapist and working with these things so i felt kind of like well i'm sitting here in front of a person and in the beginning when i started doing just regular therapy i was like i felt the need to be able to you know held someone's hand or place a hand on their shoulder to to calm the body and the nervous system in that way too um so when i started doing breath work like this i could i could do that so when people are in the session i can i can take their hand and i can sit there with them and just place my hand on their belly or on the top of their head and and telling them that that I'm here with them with my whole body language you know and that's that's for me a huge difference than than just having the words to support because you know words words can do a lot but in the end we all need to feel safe and and a lot of our traumas has created unsafety in the body so if we can create a state for people where they get in touch with that whole experience of safeness then that really has some power to it yeah and also a lot of people especially gosh you know just even in the last five years with how quickly social media has evolved and changed our modern society more than ever many humans are starved for other human connection Yes. And in a very physical, very real way, meaning touching somebody, whether mm-hmm. that is putting the hand gently on their shoulder or their head or their hand. And I talk about this in my teacher trainings when we learn how to do hands-on assists. And yeah. of course, you know, you and I are professionals and we know without having to say it, but we will say it, <laughs> there is... <laughs> Good touch and bad touch. And when, exactly. you're, when you're a professional, you know that line, you uh, have integrity and you have respect for the person you're working with, of course. Um, unfortunately, in both your profession and mine, there are sometimes people who don't follow those rules and those laws and do a lot of harm along the way. Yes. But for those of us who follow... <laughs> the rules of good touch and bad touch and respecting boundaries and respecting uh, people's personal space. Um, Many people, when they come to say like one of my yoga classes, and if I give them a hands-on assist or an adjustment or a little bit of just some physical validation that I see them, it can change their whole experience, not just of the practice in that moment, but maybe of their day or maybe of their week, Mm -hmm. because maybe that's the only physical contact they've had. Yes. And we know scientific research shows that we have to have physical contact. And that's why when babies are born, they're put onto their mom and their dad's chests to have that skin to skin contact. And it's so important to help with bonding, to help with us feeling like we're part of a community. And so I think it can be a very, very important tool when used properly. So I think that's really great that you felt that also, and now found a way to bring that into a clinical private uh, psychotherapy setting. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're saying is very important because it's, for me, it's about, you know, 
that's one of the reasons why people working with this stuff really needs to have the proper training, you know, and, and you as a yoga teacher knows that, that, that it's just, you need to really know what you're doing when working with people in this way. Uh, it can be very, very harmful if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yes. So, so I'm glad that you just mentioned that because it, it is very, a very important aspect, really. Yeah. Well, and even with the breath too, you have to be super careful in the way in which you guide people to be breathing because you could also harm people or me guiding people to make shapes with their body. I could yeah. harm them too. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's for basically the, the, the breath work is very, it's a very safe method if you have the proper training to share it with other people. But I'm very, very aware that when you work with people in a, in such a, on such a deep level as you, as you do with the breath, you need to be aware of how to work with the traumas that can arise during a session. Oh, you know? yes. So I, I started, uh, I, I talk a lot with other breath workers who are also psychologists because, you know, ha and we are trying to, to really, really get totally clear about how do we how do we make sure that the breath workers out there knows how to deal with trauma when they arise um and i think it's it's about ethics also but but we really we want to help people deal with them in a proper way um so i'm so happy that i i finally got a community where i can talk with other psychologists about how we can how we can make sure that people are safe in that way because um, I really it's it's something that that I spend a lot of time thinking about mm. yeah. well it's kind of like that saying just a little bit of knowledge can be a dangerous thing <laughs> and it's when you're facilitating or guiding the breath work it's a two-part thing the first one is getting them into the experience and then what you're talking about now is the second part, what happens after the experience and is the person guiding them fully educated and fully aware on what all the different things that could possibly come up and the situations you need to handle. Yeah. And that can happen in yoga too, where when we're moving the body and of course, at the same time, connecting to the breath, um, a lot of things can be shifted and dislodged and come up to the surface. And so sometimes in a yoga practice, we have to know how to handle if somebody has a, a big response to yes. something. Yeah. But unfortunately, I think there are coming back to this ethics kind of idea. And personally, I love ethics. <laughs> I could talk <laughs> about it for a really long time because um, it's just such an interesting observation and commentary on human behavior. And it's mm -hmm. not just something that we deal with in 2019. It's, of course, something that has been around since the beginning of time with humans and all the great philosophers talked about it and considered it. But within healing modalities, alternative healing modalities, um, I think there's a lot of blurred lines with the ethics. Mm -hmm. And within yoga in particular, and actually I, now that I'm thinking about breath work also, there's no standardization and there's no board per se, that you get licensed through that kind of maintains certain set standards. So basically anybody could just be like, yep, today 
I'm a yoga teacher and hang yeah. up their shingle, create a website, start peeping, teaching people yoga. And it's yeah. the same with breath work too. And yeah. of course, hopefully students or your clients, um, do a little bit of research and a little bit of background looking into to see if the person that they're going to is reputable, has done training, is rooted in the practices themselves. But the reality is that's not always the case. Um, no. And so I think when people get together, and it sounds like you with your community that you found of other psychologists and breath workers, and I try to do this with other yoga teachers, is how do we work together to yes. raise the bar so exactly. that our behavior and our standard operating procedures are hopefully going to influence maybe people around us. Or it's like, okay, this is the right way to do it. And it's not the right way because I say it's the right way. It's the right way because it's the right way for everybody. It's the most beneficial. It's the least harmful. Yeah. So, yeah. And that is very important. And I think that um, one, one of the things that are a lot in, on my mind is that how can we create a bridge between these more alternative modalities and the more, you know, the more evidence-based modalities, the way it looks right now. Um, and luckily there are more and more research on meditation and breath work and yoga also, but, but still, I think if we started to cooperate cooperate a lot more then we could then we could actually create these ethics and these ways of working with the modalities based on really knowing because you know if we we look into this these modalities with science then we can become way more um then we can work from a different place than we think this is how this works um, but the way it is now is that that it's difficult sometimes to have the the money to to actually do these kind of studies because they because it's it's not that easy. But I think it's very very important that we start looking at how can we help each other to become wiser and to use these things in a way that helps people the best instead of being more you know. I've I've noticed a lot that in when I'm in a very spiritual setting, they're like, well, I don't want to go to regular medicine or stuff like that, but but maybe we can help each other, so we can combine the things and and you know create a bridge between those two worlds. Um, that is to me very very important, also within eth ethics, because that's where we can start choosing wisely. Right. Well, and then too, it's always putting the patient or the client or the student's best interests as number one. As number one. Which is the way it should be. But again, unfortunately, with <laughs> the way corporations work and the pharmaceutical companies, at least in the U.S. work, um, it's not always the patients who are the number one concern. No, unfortunately. <laughs> no, no. And you know, something I'm really excited about um, that I'm going to be doing kind of my own small, small little contribution to what you're talking about in terms of bridging that gap and doing whatever we can. Um, when I went through cancer treatment a few years ago, it was really, of course, traumatic, um, but I was so grateful to the practices that I had already as part of my daily life, uh, yoga, yeah. 
and meditation, chanting, breathing. And the asana I couldn't do so much of, and that was fine. But, um, and in the US where I got my treatment, I was very, very fortunate to be at a place, uh, the Huntsman Cancer Institute in Salt Lake City in Utah. And there was a very holistic approach. Uh, there was a lot of information about art therapy and yoga and nutritionists and uh, massage therapists that you could go to all housed within the same facility as Wonderful. all of the cancer treatments and doctors. I was assigned a social worker to help me mm. kind of navigate some of these extra programs. And yes. the really cool thing, uh, shout out to Mariah. <laughs> she, <laughs> she had been a yoga student of mine, actually. Um, yeah. I had helped train her to become a yoga teacher. And then she ended up being my social worker when I went through my cancer treatment. So I, she was totally on board with all of these alternative therapies and Amazing. was so helpful um, to, mm. to me in getting me into some of these programs. But then I moved to Norway and all of my follow-up treatments were here and, and continued to be. And it was just night and day in terms of not only is there not access to alternative therapies, but my oncologist pretty much laughed in my face when I asked him about some of this stuff um, that to you and I would just be like a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. And it was really disheartening at first. I was like, oh my gosh, okay, well, then the responsibility is on me to make sure I'm doing my research. I'm finding these resources. Yes. So that's kind of the backstory. But then um, now how I get to kind of pay it forward and sort of be part of this conversation for change within Norway or the Nordic community is uh, the Scandinavian sarcoma group is meeting in Bergen this year in May. And it's a conference for all of the medical professional doctors and nurses who work within sarcoma, which is the type, the general type of cancer that I had. And I've been asked to come be a speaker and talk on a panel about alternative therapies for people going through cancer treatment. And I was, I'm just like so excited to be part of this conversation yeah. because, um, it's probably not going to change anything overnight. <laughs> it's probably not going to change it in the next few years, but at least maybe it's planting a seed that yeah. how can we bring in some of these things like breath work, like yoga, like meditation uh, to help assist the process of the Western medical treatment plan and work together so that we do have the patient's best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important that you that you want to use your your you know your voice like that because I think that is that is actually one of the ways that we can start getting the 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 whole industry to notice how important it is to to be able to to you know work in different on different levels. And I when I I I was recovering from from many many years with eating disorders. I used so many different modalities and I couldn't have been without any one of them. You know, I, I used alternative treatments and I used the more regular therapy like cognitive behavioral therapy. But for me, it was all a part of my healing journey. And I wouldn't have been where I am today if I hadn't started to opening up to working with my body For my point of view, it had to be very, very slowly because it was difficult for me to even be with my body mm -hmm. at that point. But, you know, to, to just realize that all of the work that I did 
blending these two worlds together is is one of the reasons why I'm here today. Um, so it is so important also for people to start talking about these experiences. Because, you know, in in Denmark, for example, so many people use this alternative treatment, but not that many people tell their doctor about it. Mm. So, so, but I think a lot of, especially, you know, uh, psycholo- psychological problems, there are still a lot of uh, stigmatized um, ways of talking about it. But, and that creates a lot of shame for people. But for me, it's very important that we, we start talking about the difficulties that we've been through and opening up in a vulnerable way. But that's one of the th- one of the ways how we can change things if we dare to talk. And as uh, Brene Brown talks about, dare to step into the arena, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> be seen, be heard, and and sharing these stories that we all have with us, then we can start changing the ways that the system works. That's um, I really believe that that if we if we speak up. So I'm happy and I'm very, 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 very uh, grateful that you choose to do this. Yeah, and thank share you. your story. It's really. Well, and same with you. I mean, it's once you have gone through a process and had a positive outcome. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm saying that in terms of um, being able to share your experience and be solution oriented rather than staying in the story. Mm -hmm. Um, is the important takeaway for me. And that's something that I keep coming back to, you know, I talk um, openly about what my experiences have been and moving, immigrating to a new country on the tail end of uh, very significant trauma and what that experience was like and the depression and fatigue and coming back to what you were saying earlier too, emotions that I had never felt before that I couldn't put a name to. Yes, exactly. And then now I've had enough time. I've processed. I'm healthy. I'm grounded. Uh, I'm in a space and I have a platform where I can share and maybe help other people, at least give them suggestions of things to check out or look at to help them on their journey process or work with whatever it is that's happening in their life. Yes. And I think that's such an important part of being a not just a productive member of society, but giving back in whatever small ways that we can. Um, and for me, that's really the definition of a yogi. <laughs> it's coming back to this idea, how can I be of service? How yes. can I help? And if all I have is my own personal experience to offer, then that's what I'm going to use. Definitely. And, you know, that, that makes me think about uh, in the beginning of, of me working as a psychologist, I... I was told a lot that that I that I care too much for my patients or my clients. <laughs> and and in the beginning I was like how is that even possible? <laughs> you know to to care too much about people that you actually really want to help. Um but it took me a a couple of years to to really be able to say to myself, well, that's, that's the person that I want to be in that room. Okay. Then sometimes I can get upset and I can get sad if things don't work out the way that I, 
that I hoped for the client, but I am going to care for them really in a very deep way. Cause I think that's one of the first things that, that has to actually be there for me to help them. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and you know, I have kind of an interesting question for you too. Um, and this is something I think about quite a bit. So one of the methods you said that you use in the psychotherapy is the, it's the compassion based. Yeah. Compassion focused therapy. Compassion focused therapy. Thank you. Um, and so along those lines, have you ever suffered from, or do you know ways to combat compassion fatigue when somebody is too compassionate, when they do care too deeply and it actually starts to have a negative impact? Yes. On them through the practice of compassion. And I think that when working with compassion, it is very, very important that you learn how to be compassionate towards yourself. Uh, in this specific method that's created uh, by Paul Gilbert, we talk a lot about how we can create a part of ourselves that we call the compassionate self. Um, and that's so we have different ways of working with that but but one of the ways is through visualization and actually by a soothing breathing technique to get in touch with a place within where there's a feeling of safety and contentment um and to to be able to reach that place within uh that is something that can prevent uh, compassion fatigue because it's a big problem within uh, all kinds of help, uh, help, help, healthcare. You know, in Denmark, I think it's within top ten percent of the people who has burnouts are psychologists. Mm. But but I so I think that working with the compassion itself uh, to know where do I need to take my pauses. When do I need to, to, you know, just not see clients for a while? One of the ways that I work with it personally is that I, I know that I care deeply. So I know that I have to have a limited number of clients every week so that I can show up for them, but also so that I can show up for myself. So I know that I have a limit of 10 people that I work with a week. Um, and then I teach on this side of it. So that's one of the other ways that I, I do my business. But but for me, it's important to really, really take that seriously. And uh, so I can process the, the experiences that I have in the sessions with my clients, but also so that I allow myself to get in touch with that compassionate part of myself so that I can comfort and soothe whatever is needed to be comforted and soothed within myself. Mm. That's such yeah. an important thing. That is how do we set up boundaries and, and maintain the boundaries for ourselves to keep our own energy and our own vessel running yeah. smoothly so that we don't get burnt out so that we don't um, extend more energy outward than we're bringing back in inwardly. And um, yeah, I mean, we talk about this a lot in the yoga community 
And Mm -hmm. I work very hard with that also. Um, You know, I have a lot of energy going outward when I'm facilitating my yoga teacher trainings. And like you, I care super deeply. I'm there. I'm present. I want to be there. And of course, there's always, you know, a lot of personal things that come up for students during a six month or year long training and being available to them out of the classroom um, because that can impact how they show up in the classroom So it's very much something that I think a lot about. And, you know, for me, alone time, silent time, slow time, (laughs) Mm -hmm. these are the ways in which I recharge my batteries. And I'm as I, it's probably also honestly a little bit part of the aging process as well, um, where you just naturally slow down a little bit more, but I am so, uh, fiercely guarded with those things in my life. And it's, just kind of a non-negotiable in my sleep. That's of course yes. the number one thing for me. Um, but it's, we have to stay aware of it. It's not something we can let go of and just be like, okay, I did a good job this week. All right. And now I'm going to a teacher no. training or now I'm going to go, you know, hold space for my clients and my psychotherapy practice. It's, you have to stay vigilant. You have to stay on it. And I always have to do a lot of different check-ins with myself. Like, wow, how mm. is my energy? Yes. Gosh, I would love to go and have that coffee date, but you know what? I just can't do it today. Yes. And that's so important to, to know your, to learn how to say no and when to say no. Cause, cause I think that many people know this and you know, it's, uh, it's about okay, every time you say, I, I usually say that every time you say yes to something, when you don't have the energy then you're actually saying no to yourself. Yes, that's so true. Mm-hmm. And 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 for me, it's an everyday practice saying yes to myself again and again and again and again. Because so many of us has learned how to be the good girl and how to <laughs> please other people, you know. But But saying yes, checking in, looking at, what's important to me? Am I important to me? And making that conscious decision over and over again. Yes, I am. Because, you know, it's you cannot help other people if you don't recharge your own batteries. Only in a very limited amount of time. Yes. <laughs> you know, so so but I'm so glad that you brought it up because I think it's so important that that people, no matter how they work with other people, really get aware of this and take themselves very, very seriously in that way. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I um, just lost my train of thought (laughs) (laughs) when I was thinking about this, but it's, yeah, it's something we can't take lightly and making sure that we are doing those check-ins and also doing our own practices. Yes, that's an important part of that puzzle also, um, that we're continuing to do the work ourselves so that we can take care of ourselves so that we can hold space for other people. That's very important. And and when you say that, I, I, I just want to say something that I noticed within myself and I, that I see sometimes in other people, too, is that that it's also important when you create your own practice that you do it in a way where you don't overwhelm yourself. Because, mm. you know, when I, I did some of my breathwork training, I was, there was all these kinds of different exercises that we could do every day. And at one point, 
I saw myself getting up very, very early before getting the, the kids to school. And I, I actually started getting stressed out because I had to do a very long <laughs> morning session with all kinds of different exercises. So I, I paused and I was like, what are you doing? Is this, is this taking care of yourself? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then I, I needed to do some adjustments so that I now have the practice that fits my life. You know, I'm a mom and I have two kids and a husband. And so how, how does your own personal practice look like in a way that you really, really take care of yourself? Yes. And it can change. That's the beauty of it. It doesn't have to be yeah. the same thing forever. It's just what's going to work to support you at that time in your life, that season in your life. And mm -hmm. that's actually, I remember what I had lost my train of thought thinking about that's still very relevant to this conversation. And that's removing that quality or emotion of guilt. Yes. When we do have our practice, when we do say no to other things or other people so that we prioritize ourselves and say yes to ourselves. And that took me a long time to kind of make significant progress with. And now I'm fairly comfortable with most of my decisions. And very rarely do I have like a strong twinge of guilt come up. I, I make no apologies <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> preserving my space, preserving my energy. And I think that especially for women can be a very challenging and tricky area to navigate where I, I love this. I don't know who said it, but, um, no is a complete sentence. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I love that so much because it's yeah. such a strong reminder. Oh, I don't owe anybody an explanation. Except maybe if it's like your boss and you're not doing your work or, you know, there might be yeah. some circumstances, <laughs> but in general, when it comes to, you know, prioritizing how we spend our time, uh, you know, we don't have to say, oh, I'd love to, but I can't because X, Y, Z. It's nope. just like, no, I'm sorry. I'm unavailable. Yes. <laughs> I and, love that too. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm unavailable because I'm staying home to take a nap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. And that's plenty of reason. I need a nap. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big yeah. napper. I nap a lot. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> but we have to, because both of our lines of work require, like we said, so much energy going out. So yeah. whatever we need to do to bring it back in. And for me, from an Ayurvedic standpoint, I have a lot of Vata energy, Vata Pitta dominant. And um, I imagine, you know, we didn't spend a whole lot of time together in Copenhagen, but I imagine you probably also have a fair amount of vata in you also. And that's the energy that's very, can be very ungrounded, unstable. It's very light. It's very airy. Um, yeah. It's very creative and very much like, go, 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 go. Okay. What's happening? Go. Like it can also, when ungrounded, be very distracted, very disorganized, <laughs> losing touch with reality. Yes. Where are my keys? Oh, did I, what did I say five minutes ago? I totally can't remember. That's, you know, the, the Vata energy. And so it takes people who have a lot of Vata need to work extra hard in order yeah. to ground themselves, in order to feel safe, in order to feel nurtured. And mm -hmm. so I know that about myself. And so that's why I have over time removed that element of guilt. Yes. around my self-care, around prioritizing myself 
over so other people or other things or other experiences. And um, it's so that I can continue to feed in my long-term goal, which is how can I be of service? Yes. So important. And I totally recognize myself in that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And I, I said that because it's uh, a lot of, most of our doshic composition can also be determined by body structure. So mm-hmm. um, having seen you in person, I made a, a generalization about you. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. And that's why too, like learning more about all the different types of modalities can be so helpful to integrate. It's not just that there's one size fits all. No, I, I really don't believe in one size fits all. Definitely not. And I think that's also why it's important that we, for me as a breath worker, for example, I, I truly love the, the modality transformational breath that I'm trained in. Um, but I started noticing that, that I also want to learn other ways of working with the breath so that I can have even more ways of, lear- of helping people. So for me, it's, it's very important to expand in my knowledge. Mm. So I, I, I tend to, I always do some kind of training every year in, in some kind of modality within psychology or within breath work. Um, and, and this may, I start another one, uh, with Dan Brule and I'm really, really excited about that. And I'm starting another compassion focused therapy training, uh, later this year too. And I really love it because it's, it's, um, I think it's very important when you work with people that you have more ways in, you know, it's not one size fits all. It really isn't. Yeah. Oh man, you're a girl after my own heart. It's, uh, I talk about that a lot. We have to stay a student and we have to stay inspired. And, uh, I too love to take a lot of trainings. (laughs) So I was like, okay, what's next? What's next? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like I could just talk to you forever, but I, I want to be really mindful of your time. Um, I just want to follow up or kind of end our our conversation together with a question. We didn't even get to talk about meditation, which <laughs> maybe we'll have to do a second session. Um, yeah, that could be wonderful. But breath work is so important. So I'm happy we got to kind of dive into that a little bit. But yeah. uh, there's a question that I like to ask a lot of my guests. And um, because you meditate and do so much with the transcendental breath work, um, the question that I ask is who or what would you be? if you could get still enough and quiet enough to listen to the wisdom within? I would be exactly who I am. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, yeah, that, that's it. Just to be. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love it. Short, simple. It's yeah. great. And it's, <laughs> I, and it's, you know, all answers are correct, but yeah. um, that's such a nice thing to hear because it's like, Oh, okay. I already, I am everything. Yeah. And I think a lot of, of when we try to, to do these transitions with ourselves, we, we, we tend to think that we should become something different than we already is. But I think a lot of my journey has to learn how to be exactly who I'm born to be. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Oh, well, I want to thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast and telling us about all the really cool and impactful things that you're up to. 
and thank you so much for inviting me it's really been a very big pleasure yes good well i hope we get to see each other again soon and me too i would love that yes yeah okay well bye 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 bye